All right, everyone. Good evening. Just one second here. Make sure we don't get any disturbances. Okay. Welcome to Parsha in my life. This is the week of Parsha's Devarim, but also the week before Tisha B'Av. I'd like to talk about something interesting. Okay. First of all, anybody that would like to sponsor tonight's class, it's available. Forget to, uh, to mention that most of the weeks. But it's available and you can still take this chus. If you're listening and you enjoy the class and you want the merit, you can go to Mayon, uh, our Mayon.com slash donate. And over there you can choose share sponsor and sponsor the class and you'll have all the merit for whatever it is that you would like it to be for. Thank you. All right. So um, those of you who've been on our uh, following the classes happening here at Mayon. Um, I know that last night, yesterday in the morning, we had a session over here that was very special. We had a four-hour learning session of four classes. It's on the Mayon um, um, YouTube channel. It's the last thing that we had. And we had a, uh, I forgot what I called it over there, but it was it was a kolal. It was a study session regarding the coming of Mashiach. Oh, it was called Hilchas of the Mashiach. The Laws of Mashiach. Now, we had four classes, great classes. Every single one of them was really unique and special and discussing fundamentals regarding the time of the redemption from a halachic perspective. One of those rabbis, Rabbi Sauer, um, gave a wonderful class on the halachic holiness of the land of Israel, um, its status today, what's its holiness, uh, do we... Does Israel lose its holiness when the Jewish people are in exile? If yes, to what degree? It was a very interesting discussion. And um, I want to follow in his, in his uh, literally as a, a phase two to his class. But I don't expect everybody to listen to what he spoke. Uh, it's really worth it. He was the second um, hour. Uh, so if you listen to the classes, you, the first hour was fascinating. It was about the return of the Sanhedrin, about... It was really great stuff. Every single one of them. The second one is the reason I'm emphasizing to listen to that one is just as a connection to what I'm speaking about tonight. I really, I'm going to go through most of the things that he spoke about, but I'm going to add the Lubavitcher Rebbe's take on this whole idea, on explaining the Rambam that he was so um, troubled with. And he gave four four approaches uh, and that's all phenomenal. But then the Rebbe comes up to bat and the Rebbe knocks it out of the park. Literally, a grand slam. So um, I have to share it with Rabbi Sauer, uh, because it, it, it's really phenomenal. And that's what I'd like to share with you tonight. So we're going to go over some of the stuff uh, that Rabbi that we discussed yesterday. And um, okay, so basically, so the reason I'm doing this now is because, first of all, it's, it was provoked in my mind yesterday, also because this is the season of our waiting for return to Eretz Yisrael. Um, hopefully, the Shabbos Tisha B'Av, we're going to celebrate the biggest celebration um, with Mashiach. It's Mashiach's birthday on Tisha B'Av. It's an awesome time. So we're already pushing off the fast. It's like the sages say, once it's pushed off, let it be pushed off for good. Um, and we're going to return to the land of Israel. So we want to understand the eternal bond of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, which is one of the miracles, as we will see in today's class. 
we begin with the holiness of Israel. We know that Eretz Yisrael has sanctity. It has a tremendous level of holiness. And the levels of holiness in the land of Israel are in stages. There is the land, there is the holiness that pertains to the entire land of Eretz Yisrael regarding certain laws. For example, the laws of the certain mitzvot, certain commandments. This year is a sabbatical year. So there's a holiness in the land of Israel that the fruits that grow in, in the Shemitah year, first of all, you're not allowed to work the land. You're allowed to work the land outside of the land of Israel. You're not allowed to learn working in the land of Israel because Israel is holy. The fruits that grow in the land of Israel this year on their own have sanctity. It's a whole problem. It's very hard for the people that are living in Israel to deal with it. It's not easy. Uh, for example, it's the little thing. You're not allowed to throw away any food. So when you make salad and there's leftover food, you're really stuck. You have to literally finish everything, every bit of scrap of food. It's a big problem. It's very difficult sometimes. And when you can't eat anyone, you have to put it away. And then you, you can you recycle and somehow continue eating everything. These things create big problems because there's holiness. This year, the seventh year, is holiness and extra holiness. But that's only the fruit growing in the land of Israel. Fruit that grows in Argentina doesn't have holiness. Fruit that grows over here in, in California doesn't have the sanctity. So Eretz Yisrael is holy. Um, in addition to that, there is the holiness of the, of the city of Jerusalem, of Yerushalayim. Regarding their lots of halachis, lots of laws apply only to the city of Jerusalem. Certain sacrificial meats you can only eat within the city of Jerusalem. Meiser, uh, the tithing, second level of tithing, you have to eat it in the city of Yerushalayim. And they can't even, and Israel is not holy enough for that. It has to be Yerushalayim. And then obviously we understand there's the holiness of the temple itself, the Makam Migdash, the place of the temple itself. So Rambam makes a very interesting distinction between the question over here becomes to what degree were, do these holiness continue and um, or were they interrupted during the time of the exile? And when we come back to Israel, so how does it work? So Maimonides makes an interesting distinction between the holiness of the temple and the holiness of the rest of Eretz Yisrael and Jerusalem. The Rambam says, hold on. That both, I'm sorry, uh, the d- distinction between Yerushalayim, the old city. When we say Jerusalem, we don't mean the modern city of Jerusalem today. We mean what was considered part of the old city of Yerushalayim and, um, and the place of the temple, the Temple Mount and the Beis Amigdash. The Ramam says that the holiness of the temple and the temple mount, that holiness um, remained in full force throughout all the exiles. Nothing was ever interrupted. Its Kedusha remained in full power and full holiness, so much so that Maimonides says that you're allowed to bring sacrifices, even today's days. Even though there's no physical temple over there, and the Romans destroyed the temple and they plowed it down to a field. That's how much they uprooted anything that was there. It doesn't make a difference. You don't need the structure. The holiness remains on the Makam Amigdash, on the place of the base Amigdash. Rabbi Sauer discussed yesterday, there's technical reasons why 
We don't offer sacrifices. We have an issue that we're impure. That necessarily we can overcome because if the whole community is impure, you're still supposed to do the sacrifices. There's other issues. We need Kohanim. We need priests. Thank God I'm a Kohen. It's very special. There's other Kohanim. But that's not good enough. The Kohen needs to be approved by the Sanhedrin. They have to look into a person's lineage and make sure that the Kohen is a real Kohen. And there can be many, many, many other aspects that why in today's days it is prevented until the base, until the temple is going to be rebuilt, why in the literal sense we do not offer the sacrifices. But these are all side issues. I mean, the main problem is, do we have a place that we can offer sacrifices? The sacrifice can only be brought in the Makam Amigdash, in the place of holiness. So Ramam says that holiness, when it was sanctioned by Shlomo Melech, when King Solomon made it holy, when he built the temple, and he, that place then became the ever, he sanctified it forever and ever, and its holiness can never change. All the exiles in the world could not eliminate that holiness. And the same is of Jerusalem. The holiness of Jerusalem is together bound up with the holiness of the temple, and it's forever. However, um, when it comes to the rest of the land of Israel, which its holiness is regarding, for instance, as we spoke earlier, regarding Shemitah and so on and so forth. That holiness, um, which was sanctioned and made holy when when Yeshua came into the land of Israel, that holiness did not last forever. When the Babylonians came and destroyed the first temple and, and the Jews were kicked out of the land of Israel, were driven out of the land of Israel, that holiness, the holiness of the land was interrupted. It ceased, the holiness kind of separated from the land. And then the land reverted back to being a regular land like any other country in a sense. Okay, it lost its condition. The rest of the land of Israel, not the city of Jerusalem, but the rest of the land of Israel lost its holiness. But it was re-sanctioned, Maimonides says, when the second time the Jews entered the land after the 70 years of exile, they were given permission by Koresh to come up, Cyrus, to come up and to take back the land of Israel, rebuild the temple, and so on and so forth. They were led by the by the great Ezra, the scribe. So they re-sanctioned the land. And um, now the question that many have, so when the re-sanctioning was done, it it, it it wasn't re-sanctioned with the same level of holiness like it was initially the first time. They they were lacking certain powers, but whatever they were able to make holy, or whatever degree of holiness that they were able to bring onto the land the second time, it was made holy. And that holiness, now when the Jews were 420 years later, when the Jews were exiled from the land by the Romans who destroyed the second temple, and exiled, it took a while till the Jews got kicked out. But the Jews were exiled from the land, mostly. There's a, maybe a small community of Jews always there. But Jews were exiled from the land. That holiness, however, did never left the land. Whatever the holiness was in the days of Ezra continues to be on, in, in the land of Israel. So what will come now over here is an interesting uh, differentiation. The holiness of Jerusalem and the holiness of the temple is uninterrupted from King Solomon. From Shlomo Melech. 
And since then, it's rooted in the place and it was never interrupted. The holiness of Israel and the rest of Israel is holy today. It is holy today, but not because of King Solomon's sanctification, because that was interrupted by the um, by the um, by the Babylonians. But the Romans, but the second sanctification, the one that was done in the time of Ezra, and the one in the time of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came and they sanctified the land, the second time, that second level of holiness in the land of Israel lasts eternally. So Maimonides, the Rambam gives an explanation why that is the case. You know, why wasn't the first sanctification valid and carried through even during the interrupted exile? And that exile was a much shorter exile. And the Jews weren't exiled so far away from Israel. They were just around the corner. They were in Iraq, in, 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 in Babylonia, Iran, not too far. They were still in the Middle East. In this exile, currently the Jews were scattered over four, four corners of the world for close to 2,000 years. So if there should be an interruption in the holiness, so the second holiness should have also been diminished from the land of Israel. So Rama makes an in, interesting distinction, and he says like this. This is in the laws of Beis Abkhira. The Rebbe says we should learn this during the nine days. Ramam says in, 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 in the laws of the temple, chapter 6, Allah Tezayim, which is, um, yeah, why do I say that in the temple, in the Migdash, you know, let me go back a little bit. This is in, in, in Allah Yudalib. What made the Ramam is saying that Ezra didn't have the power when he came up because he didn't have um, the the Jewish people were lacking the Navi. They didn't have the prophet. They didn't have a king then. They didn't have the special power that the high priest had through the breastplate, which was a certain level of divine um, prophecy that came through the Chosh. Power in the days of Ezra to sanctify the 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 base Amigdash. That level they couldn't do it. Well, the Ramam says about men is What made it holy? So the Ramam answers. Ramanadi's answers. In the first sanctification, when Shlomo and King Solomon sanctified, he was the one who sanctified the courtyard, the Yerushalayim, and also Jerusalem. And when he did it. He did it Lashaita. He did it for its for the time that the temple stood, the first temple. And he also sanctified it for the future, for all eternity. Loma Melech sanctification was everlasting forever. Therefore, Mamanadi says in the next halacha, Makriven Akrabana is Kulan. As I mentioned earlier, we can offer all the sacrifices. Even though you don't have a, a, a temple built. We can eat. Sacrificial meat in the courtyard, even if it's even if so, it's destroyed. Even though it doesn't have a wall surrounding it, because the holiness is there on the on the on the land. It's Admas Kodesh, it's holy earth. And those types of holy things that have to be eaten, that don't need the temple, but they need to be eaten in Jerusalem. We can do that today as well. Even if there's no wall around. Why? 
Because the first sanctification brought holiness upon it for its time and for all of eternity. Now, now the Rambam questions this premise. So why do I say by the temple in Jerusalem? That the first sanctification was sanctified forever. And the sanctification of the rest of the land of Israel, the Indian Shviya Samaisers, which, which is halachically important regarding Shemitah, like we discussed earlier, which nothing to do with Jerusalem. It has to do with the entire land of Israel. And the rest of him, we say, did not retain. When they made it holy in the first time with Joshua, with Yeshua, they didn't sanctify it forever. Why is that? Why was it interrupted? So the Ramam answers an interesting answer. Because the holiness of the Beis Hamikdash and Jerusalem, what makes the, the Temple Mount holy and what made Jerusalem holy? Those two places were made holy because of the Shekhinah, that's God's city. Because God comes to live there. The divine presence, the Shekhinah means the divine presence. Because God came down to dwell in the in the Beis Amigdash and in Jerusalem, the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah ain't a betelah, and the Shekhinah never left. You can, you can burn it, you can bulldoze it, you can knock down the walls, you can desecrate whatever you want, you can't harm God. You're not chasing God away. As we know, Rabbi Sauer yesterday brought a beautiful midrash saying that God never left. According to one opinion in the midrash, God went back up to heaven. According to another opinion in the midrash, God never left the Makam Amigdash. And that's why he never leaves from the other side of the Kotel. You go to the Kotel, you're as the closest as you can come to the presence of the Shekhinah. So Hashem is there. And therefore, since God never left, so the holiness remains. And the Ramam says, Now to prove this idea, that even when the temple is destroyed, the holiness is there, there is a verse that says, I will desolate your, 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 your mikdash, your holy places. And the sages learn out from here that even when it's desolated, even when it's demolished, it's still holy. And the rabbi said, even though they are destroyed, they're still in their holiness. Okay, that's when we're dealing with Jerusalem and and the temple. However, when it comes to the rest of the whole of the land of Israel, but the obligation of that it, that it pertains to the land of Israel in Shemitah and in Meiser, Meiser is the tithing, and Shemitah is the is the sabbatical year. That is not because the Shekhinah dwells in Jerusalem. That's because the Ramadan says that has to do with that came about that first time when it happened. It came about by the Jewish conquest of the land. Came about because it was a a conquest of a of a community the jewish community the jewish people came in as a community as a people and they conquered the land from the ancient uh seven nations who lived there so 
since that holiness was brought upon the land by the conquest of the people, the conquering army, so once the Babylonians' army arms came in a couple of hundred years later, like 700 years, or close to maybe 800 years later, and they overpowered the Jewish armies that were there, and they conquered the land. So their conquest canceled the conquest of the, the first conquest, the conquest of the Jewish people. Their conquering overpowered the, 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 the earlier uh, uh, conquest. So the conquest of the Jewish people of the land became now null and void because it was overpowered by an opposite force. So then, and it undid the holiness. Then it became biblically removed from its obligation of tithing and the sabbatical year. What he means biblically means that the rabbis still said you still have to do the tithing in the place and you still have to keep the sabbatical year. But that's just a rabbinic uh, um, 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 thing. But biblically, it was undone. Okay. Because it's not the land of the Jewish people. What made it the land of the Jewish people? What made it their land? I'm soon going to see if that's really the meaning, the way I'm saying it now. It's not a land that the Jewish people are holding in their possession. Why is it not a land? Because it was... What made, what made the, the land be a land in Jewish possession? The fact that the Jews conquered it from their enemies. When their enemies came and reconquered it from them, so then it's not being the land that they are holding in possession. Their possession was hinged on their strat on their on their conquest. But then the key Ezra, but then 70 years later, when Ezra came up the with the second the second uh, the second time the Jewish people came back to the land of Israel, or neither it's the sec- it's the first time they're coming back, okay? Unless you say that when our forefathers lived there already, coming after Egypt is also called coming back. So then we would say it is the second time they're coming back. But meaning at this time of the second temple, who came up? Ezra came up. And yesterday he said, I think with 45,000 Jews, wasn't that many, or 25 or 35, I think he said 45. The Kacha, and, they, and then they sanctified it. Loi Kacha Bikibush, there was no war then. They didn't conquer it with a kibush, with a conquest. They just took possession over it. The fact that they took hold of it. Without a war. And therefore, since it was now a new sanctification that had to do with their taking possession over the land, not through a conquest. But that only applies to the places where they actually did that, because the second time they came, they didn't reconquer everything. Okay, not every place that was there the first time where they again they didn't conquer at all. They didn't resettle in every single place. But then, even though then at in the end it was taken away from them, forcefully taken away from them, and they in a sense they were unsettled. 
They were unsettled. They were uprooted. And they did not. The land lay desolate without them. Still, it's obligated in Shvius or Maestris. It's still because that was never undone. Their second uh, taking possession of the land was never was never nullified because they never took it through a conquest. They took it through a settling. Okay. This is how the Ramams says, I explained this already in the laws of Truma. Um, I can read you the Rambam over there. This was, a, this was the laws of the Rambam and the laws of the temple. And the laws of Truma, which is the special gifts you give to the Kohen. In Perik Aleph, Aloha Hey, the Rambam says that same idea. Every part, this is, this is the, the fifth Allah, every place that, that the Jewish people who came up from Egypt, okay, the first conquest, and it was sanctified, the first holiness, that was canceled. Once they went into exile, Batlu Kedushasa, its holiness was, its, holy, its holiness was annulled. Its holiness was cancelled. Shekedusha Rishayna, hear what the Rambam says, because its first holiness, because it was, because of the conquest, it was only conquered for its temporary time. It wasn't made holy forever. Because it was made holy through a conquest. And then it can be unconquests when it will be conquered by someone else. But when the members of the exile, the Jews who were exiled, and they came back, now they never, as we said earlier, they never took possession over the whole land. They took possession over part of the land. So then they sanctified it a second time. However, this one, this one stands forever for its and for all eternity. And the Ramam is saying that the second sanctification was more far more powerful than the first sanctification. Okay. The same idea, but over here in the laws of Beisaming, there's the Ramam adds explanation. Why the first one was canceled and the second one was not. So Mamanadi says the first one was taken with a conquer by conquering. So when another force came and conquered, they undid the first conquest. Second one was 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 taken was was taken was became Jewish, so to speak. It became a Jewish land, a Jewish settlement through what through the Jews just settling there. They didn't conquer it from anybody. Quite on the contrary, it was under the dominion of the Persian king, because the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians. So all the territory that the Babylonians owned now became the Persians. So including the land of Israel, the Persian king gave them permission to go settle the land. It's almost like he gave them a gift. So when they went and they settled into the land of Israel now that the, that, that Cyrus had given them. So Ramam says, so it wasn't through a conquest. Since it wasn't through a conquest, even when they're driven out of the land, it still is theirs. Okay. So as uh, was stated yesterday, there's an obvious question, and two questions. And these are the questions posed by the Kesef Mishnah. The Kesef Mishnah is, asks the question as follows. 
Um, I don't get it, he says. What's the difference? If we say that the role, uh, that the Babylonians coming in and, and, and conquering the land annuls the fact that you're living there, uh, it, it removed and uprooted the Jewish people from the land. And, and, and if we say that it had power, a Gentile conquering from a Gentile people on the land of Israel was able to undo the first conquest of Yeshua, of Joshua, when he took the land. So why can't it undo the settling? It, it literally did undo the settling because it, it brought to the uprooting and the Jews were, were sent out of the land. What's the difference? Just because the first one was taken with the conquest? Okay. His words are, the Kashemishmah's words are as follows. I don't understand, he says. Why is settling a land more than conquering it? Why don't we say that a land that you settled in, in other words, the question is if an aggressing, if an aggressive conquest of a conquering army has any legal validity of claim on the land. I mean, if you think about that question, from a Torah perspective, does America belong to the United States of America or does it belong to the Native Americans? They were here first. The, 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 the Europeans came over here and, and they conquered it. Is, conquer, is conquering a valid form of taking ownership? Now, in the world we have today, you see Putin is trying to do that with Ukraine. With the, 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 the what is it called? The, 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 the Netsk uh, region. He's saying, I'm conquering and it's mine because I'm conquering it. But in a modern world today, everybody is like looking, what are you, crazy? What are you, whatever? But this is the way it's been for all time. Nations conquered nations. And when they conquered a land, it became theirs. Question is, does Torah recognize that? We'll talk about that as a question. Does Torah recognize that a conquering of a land gives us... Now, the Jewish people definitely conquered the land of Israel and we have ownership over it. But it seems like Maimonides is saying that there is a validity to the fact that the Babylonians came to conquering. And their conquering had a power. And it, and, and, it, and it undid our ownership, seemingly. Okay, we'll soon see. It undid, seemingly, the ownership of the land of Israel. So the Kesemish is saying... So what does it have to do if you paid cash or by card or you, or you paid the, you know, how you took possession of it? If a conquest of another nation, you know, they become the owners of it. So, so then what's the difference? So now you took it through settling it. So what does that do? What does it do? Now it was taken by, by, by the Romans. Why should that in any way not have the same force? And therefore, why should the holiness of Eretz Yisrael still continue? Which means it's like still a Jewish land. Why? Because it was taken by Chazaka. What's the difference? Secondly, the Kesef Mishnah asks another question. When you conquer a land, what do you do after you conquer it? You settle it. So when Yeshua came into the land of Israel, what did he do? After they fought and they decimated with miraculous intervention, all the inhabitants, even though they were giants and they were, yeah, they decimated them and they, 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 they won the battle. What did they do afterwards? They settled it. So they also settled. If you're going to say a conquest 
for whatever reason, can only undo a conquest, but it can't undo people settling in the land. <laughs> and the people in the days of Yeshua did not settle the land. They also settled it. Quite the con- They had two. They have two forms of making it theirs. Number one, they conquered it. Number two, they lived there. Living in a certain place and taking hold of it is a form of acquisition. So he's asking, is the fact that they also conquered it, does that diminish the fact that they lived there? Meaning that the first con- the first settling of the land had double points. Number one, they conquered it. Number two, they settled it. The second time they're coming into the land, they only have one of the two. They only have a settling. Why should a conquering that is together with a settling be any any weaker than having just settling? So even if whatever reason we're going to say that conquest cancers conquest, but conquest doesn't conquer doesn't cancel settling. So why the people who came the first time, they also settled. In addition to conquest, they also settled. So why would it be any different? That's his question. In the first time it was made holy through Kibush, was there no chazaka? Was there no taking possession of the land? Is a chazaka, which means a taking possession without a conquest, stronger than taking possession with a conquest? Why? That's um, that's the question. Big question. So yesterday um, in the class, he Rabbi Sauer first presented the answer. The first one that he presented as the answer was the answer of the Teisvus Yomtiv. I'm going to leave that for a second, and we're going to go to the second answer he brought. He brought from the Radvaz. Radvaz is another commentary on the Rambam. So the Radvaz explains, and he says as follows. The quality that they had in the second con- conquest, the second possession of the land of Israel over the first possession of the land of Israel, the first time when they came into the land of Israel, they only used conquering as making it theirs. And the, con- the conquering itself brought the holiness of the land. The holiness of the land of Israel was a direct derivative of their conquering. In the second temple, okay, they never conquered because again, they didn't have an army. They didn't come in. They would have conquered. So they were given permission to come settle the land. And when they came in, they did something they didn't do the first time. Ezra went and he, with his mouth, um, Declared sanctity on the land. And we know that that works. That a person can declare and make something holy. A person can take an ordinary animal, which is an ordinary mundane animal, and and, and declare it sacred property. And then the animal becomes sacred, becomes holy. If it's a kosher animal, then it becomes a korban. And you're not allowed to use it. You're not allowed to... Milk, if it's a if it's a cow, you're not allowed to use the milk. You're not allowed to share its wool if it's a if it's a sheep. It's sacred to God. You're supposed to bring it as an offering. Today's days is a problem if you sanctify an animal. You can still sanctify an animal today, just you can't bring it as a sacrifice. You're you're just making trouble by doing it. So we we're not supposed to sanctify anything. But you, a person has the ability to sanctify something with their mouth. 
Ezra was the leader of the Jewish people, the spokesman for the Jewish people, the 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 spokesperson, the the one who represents all of Israel, had the power in the name of the Jewish people to give sanctity to the land. He sanctified it with his mouth. And just like the sanctity when you sanctify something an animal that holiness can never be removed from that animal it remains forever holy by an animal the law is that you could undo the holiness if the animal gets a blemish it's not fit for a sacrifice then you could redeem it but as long as the animal is unblemished you can never remove its holiness so the same too is the land of israel the land of israel never got a blemish just because you know, Roman legions came on. It doesn't make a blemish in the land. The land remains still what it was. And therefore, since it had that, that special power that its holiness came through the sanctification of um, Ezra, who sanctified it with his mouth, as he says, with the Debo, with the sanctification, and that's eternal. So even when the Romans came in, they couldn't remove the holiness. That's his, that's his explanation. The question then will become, why didn't Yeshua then sanctify it? So why didn't Yeshua, Yeshua could have also done that. Joshua could have also done that. Joshua would have sanctified it. In other words, if it's just by, the land is holy because it's Jewish land, that's what makes it holy. Not because you're proclaiming sanctity on it. It's because it belongs to a holy people, to the Jewish people, and they are holy. And that's what brings the holiness on the land. So when they come and they separate the Jewish people from the land, then he can undo it. So then Yeshua should have known that. Yeshua should have sanctified it. So the holiness would remain forever. So the Radvans explained that Yeshua on purpose didn't want to do that. Because he wanted that during the time of exile, there will be a lot of poor people. They shouldn't have a hard time with the Shemitah. They should be able to, the Jews would be in a way without means of, Shemitah is a problem. They would, all the Jews would die of starvation. There was no food supply. In the time of the temple, so the and the time when Jews are settling in the land, so there's normal farming in the earlier years, there's always food available. But if in the time of the exile, Jews that would still be there would be hungry. So if the holiness would continue, then so on purpose he didn't do it, knowing that it would be destroyed, knowing that there would be that that situation, so he didn't want to do it. So he from the very get-go. Rabbi Sauer offered some other explanations of, of the possibility why Yeshua could not sanctify. He, he, he said, because when a very, a very nice idea, he says, once Yeshua, I forgot already in the, in the name of who he said it, once Yeshua came in and he conquered the land, so by the conquest itself, it became holy. You can't consecrate something that's, that's consecrated already. So what is he going to say? This thing... You can come to a mundane thing and make it holy. But you, Joshua, you know, they fought to, you know, they, it wasn't, they, they, it, it wasn't yet theirs to, con- to, 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 to consecrate until they captured it. And once they conquered it, it was already holy. So, you know, so, so what are they going to, he's going to, now obviously it would be beneficial. If he would also sanctify it, it would have that extra measure of holiness that could endure and would not be undone. Fine. But there's no room for that to, to, to kind of land 
that consecration can't land because you can only consecrate things that are not holy. And this is holy already. That. But Ezra never conquered. Ezra comes into the land that's just settling. And the settling land that's not holy. Ezra is settling land that's not holy. Right? And therefore, when Ezra went and consecrated the land, so his declaration of consecration on the land made it holy. And that's how Kedusha Sa'aretz the holiness of the land was 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 was, was, was that's the Radvaz's explanation. The problem with the Radvaz is it's a very nice explanation, but Maimonides doesn't say that. Maimonides doesn't say one word that Ezra used um, kedusha saper doesn't. Uh, um, um, the the Ramam says it's because they settled it. There's no word in, in, in Rambam that mentions that it was because because it was he sanctified the land by declaring it. So that's hard to say that that's Maimonides' explanation. Rambam's explanation. The other problem is we don't find anywhere in Navi where it says that Ezra went and he declared that the land of Israel is Kaddish. Doesn't say that. It's the question the Rebbe asks. He says, we don't find anywhere that Ezra went. Where does it say that? I mean, we're assuming that Ezra did that, but it doesn't say anywhere. The Radvaz says it, but it doesn't say anywhere in, in Chumash that Ezra went and he declared sanctity on the land. Okay, so that's that was the Radvaz's answer. The Taisus Yomtev, who is a peerish on the Mishnah, but of Yomtev Lippmann, who I think is a in the 1600s, so he gives a very interesting answer. And what's his explanation? He says, Venerali Letaritz appears to me to answer as follows. The Svidale, the Ramam holds, again, he's explaining the difference between how my man, the Kibush Nochrim also Mevatul Kibush Yisrael. The Ramam holds as follows. When Gentiles come and conquer a land, their conquest has power to nullify whatever was conquered earlier. So the Jewish people come into the land of Israel and they conquered it. Seemingly, it became theirs as a result of their conquest. Since it became theirs as a, as a result of their conquest of the land, how long is it theirs? As long as they're, as long as they're, con- as they're conquering or their conquest is still, is, still, is still in effect. When another force comes and when, when another people come and conquer the land, the same way you got it through your conquer, conquering, the other nation got it. So there, that's why it conquered. Then the question is what we asked earlier. When you're taking possession, what? Why does the conquest not, not undo the possession? Same thing. They conquered. Who cares? Right? So he's giving, he's trying to give a little better understanding. What, is, what, is, what does Maimonides mean? What does Rambam mean when the Rambam says that the second time when they came in, they settled the land? He says the ideal we hear is the Toysus Yamtiv says the ideal we hear is that they were it it wasn't a conquest by force. Whoever owned it at that time gave it to the Jewish people. It was given from from with their with their with their volition with their desire. Meyad Melech Paras, the king of Paras, was the real estate belonged to him because again 
Nebuchadnezzar took possession of the land of Israel. And when Nebuchadnezzar was overpowered, not Nebuchadnezzar himself, Balshetzar, who was who was the successor of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was overpowered by the kings of Persia, who defeated him. So they get then all the lands, the real estate that belonged to Nebuchadnezzar is now to the Babylonians, now go over to the Persians. Now, if they take the land and willfully gave it over to the Jewish people, so now it's ours, not because of conquest. It's ours because it was willfully given to us. So he says, as a result of that, he gave them permission to take possession of it. So a forceful conquering cannot come. It can't, it can't nullify something that we took possession of, not through a forceful, but it was given to us. He says the main idea that he emphasized over here, it was given to us with the, with the consent the consent of the previous owner. This was a consensual um, possession of the land. And as a result of that, a forceful taking of it can't, can't undo that. That's an answer. Oh, that makes far more sense in the words of the Rambam and the Radvaz, because this fits very word with the word chazaka. It's not like it, he sanctified it with his mouth. That's, that's the, um, the, the statement of the Teisus Yom. The questions that are asked on this, which make it difficult, what the Tesis Yomtev is saying. Okay, what is he saying? Why, why does it does it leave us still, 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 still unhappy and dissatisfied with the answer? And that is because you got you got to wonder: is a conquering legit or is it not legit? According to Torah, when a Gentile nation conquers land. Is it a legit? Now, again, the question is, if Gentile nations conquer, why is it different when the Jewish people conquer the land of Israel the first time? We have to distinguish between the two. The Jewish conquering of the land of Israel was a divine commandment. So definitely it's legit. Because the Abishter, God himself, gave, told the Jewish people to go conquer the land. So therefore, that conquered ha- conquering has God's signature on it. And since it's God's unit, for sure it's vowed. The question is, is a foreign conquest the same way like the, like the Spanish conquering land or the French conquering land or the British conquering land or, or, or all these countries uh, that have conquered land, does that conquest have any validity or not? So in, in Shulchan Aruch, for instance, in the laws of Hefker today, I saw the Shulchan Aruch the, the, of the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe of Shneir Zalman of Liadi, and his Shulchan Aruch says that, you know, you, you, if you go into the forests and places of uh, that, uh, you know, and you, you want to, are, are you allowed to go to the water and fish without a fishing license? You don't care about, let's say you just dismiss the law, or are you considered, now we all know there's something called Dina de Machusedina. You know, the government demands that you get a fishing license if you fish. So you have to pay. It's a fishing license you pay with eight, eight bucks a day. I don't know how much it is today, but I remember what you know, you get a fishing license. What well, someone says, listen here. So obviously you should always follow according to Torah law, the law of the land is the law of the land. So if this is, you know, if this is like if it's illegal to do so, you're obligated to follow the law. So if the law is that you need a fishing license or you need a hunting license, and you're going into public public land and you're hunting. 
The question is, is public land does belong to anybody? If I go into the forest, who belongs it? So the Alter Rebbe says that every country, a king of the country, or the same would apply, a democratic government, when they own a land, and let's say it doesn't make a difference how they got it, when they conquered a land, then that land halachically does belong to them. And therefore he says, if you're fishing without a fishing license, it's not just that you're, you're not legally whatever, you're stealing biblical law. You're in theft. It's, it's a biblical violation of theft. Because you're, you, the, the, the property is owned by the United States or by the state of California or whatever it is, and you're not allowed to fish without that license. Or you're not allowed to go and chop wood off or whatever. So if you're in a public park and they say leave the things alone, don't uh, don't pick up the stones and stuff like, you know, people think, okay, you know, it's cool, I'll bring home. You actually might be vi- in violation of a, of a biblical law of that's what it would seem like. I mean, I'm not a posek, but that's what it seems like from the Alter Rebbe of Shulchan Aruch. It's very serious because there is a valid um, authority. It's a valid acquisition. It belongs to that country, if that's the case. And, and therefore, we say that when Nebuchadnezzar comes and he conquered, it was it was a valid conquest. Since it was, again, he's, he's, he's undoing, it's going against the Jewish people, it's terrible, it's bad, and so forth and so forth. But it's still, it's still a, just like he can go into, you know, the, the, the Babylonians, uh, you know, can go into neighboring Kuwait and conquer Kuwait. We know that this caused the Persian Gulf War and the whole, the whole thing. But technically, according to this rule that a nation could conquer another nation and therefore take possession of the land, then he was allowed to come in and therefore take possession of the land. And as a result of that, it undid our ownership of the land. So if if that has validity, so what difference does it make? How can the Tesis Yontif say that Kibush, the, the conquering of a nation, doesn't undo the fact that you settle the land? Bottom line, is it yours or is it not yours? Once he kicked you out of there and took possession of the land, and Kibush is considered Ownership, meaning conquering, is considered a valid way of acquisition. When a country conquers land, it's a valid way of acquisition that is recognized by Torah law. So why would it be any different? It's still fundamentally, we understand it. Here, they consensually gave it to us. Fine. But now it doesn't belong to the Persians anymore anyways. The Persians gave it to us, and another nation came and took it. So you say, but the previous owner gave it to me. I don't care if the previous owner would have been our... <laughs> what, is, what are the Romans going to say? Bring the Persians back, let them in, we'll punch them in the nose as well. We'll get it. I don't care. I'm taking it by force. If I'm taking it, and, and if that gives validity, so then what does it help the fact... I'll, I'll pull out my deed. My, what is it called? The deed. I'll put. I'll put out my. I'll pull out my 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 contract that it belongs to me. I don't care about it. When a nation is conquering, they're tearing up all all real estate uh, contracts and they're taking it by force. And if that has power, according to Torah, just like now you have to say that power, because if it wouldn't have power, how come it worked the first time? So we really don't really have a really a, a, a good understanding, even according to the Torah now, according to the Taishi he doesn't answer the second question either. The Rebbe argues that he doesn't answer the second question either. What was the second question of the of the Kesef Mishnah that we said in reading? We said that 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 that, that he, he asks, well, 
wasn't the first time we settled the land when we conquered it, didn't we also settle it? Now you might, and therefore, because it was also settled, right? That was his question. We also settled it. So since we also settled it, it's, it's, it, it, it should have the value of settling. And settling doesn't... Now, we can say Tosas Yantav has a very good answer to that. What's his good answer? It doesn't mean that you're settling it. What we meant, the, the value of the second conquest over the first... No, I'm sorry, the, the second possession, taking possession of Eretz Yisrael over the first time is not, is not only in the... It's not, it's not because we settled it. It's because it was given to us with a consensual gift. The, 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 the owner who owned it gave it to us. And then we'll understand. But Joshua, no one gave it to us. God gave it to them. But the people living there didn't give it to them. So we would think it's a good answer. According to his understanding of Ramam, at least he answers the second question. But the Rebbe says, no, he doesn't even answer that question either. Why? Because we know if we read, we read the Navi, we see that true. Most of Eretz Yisrael was conquered by Joshua, by Yeshua. But there were certain parts that were given, the Givainim, there were a, a, a certain group of uh, uh, people that lived over there that were very threatened. They, remember, they came and they tried to trick the Jewish people. They said they came from a faraway land. They want to make peace. And they, and, they, and they caused them to make a covenant with them. And in the end, they found that well, after they swore to them, they found out that they were that they were fakers and liars and so on and so on. But in the end, they relinquished their properly willfully to the Jewish people. So at least that part that they relinquished willfully, at least that part should have the same should then have the quality of a land that was not taken by conquest. And therefore, at least on those small swaths of land that already in the days of Yeshua, we received it as a gift, willfully given over by whoever it was that gave us the property, gave over the land. So that holiness should remain still from the first temple era or from before that. And Ramam doesn't say that. Ramam doesn't make a difference. He says, all of Eretz Yisrael, the Babylonians nullified its holiness. Why? If the whole point, we should then make, uh, you know, cut out certain parts that were not. And there's a third, a third, a third um, um, possible explanation, which is by the Hassam Sofer. Again, Rabbi Sauer brought this yesterday as well. And he differentiates between the difference over here is not so much in how we took possession of it in the first place. The difference of the over here is that there is a major difference between the conquest of the Babylonians and the conquest of the of the Romans. The Chassam Sofer has a very interesting idea. Chassam Sofer is a great Hungarian rabbi, Ramosha Sofer, in the beginning of the 19th century. Giant of a giant. Anyways, he gives a very interesting answer. And he says a distinction. He says really like this. In the early, early days, prehistoric days, the days before the giving of the Torah, it was the period of time of land grabbing. It was. The world was kind of still just being settled. You grabbed whatever you wanted. And if someone grabbed it before you and you and you can amass a military and shove them off the land, you were able to do it. And you have validity, Torah validity on the land. That's why we see... All the time, nations were kicking other nations out. Once the Torah was given, and I'm not exactly sure, I didn't learn the Hassam Sofer really well to say why at that moment. Once the Torah was given, 
Uh, that means of taking land is no more a a a a uh, a, a legal Torah legal. Uh, Torah does not recognize your ownership just because you muscled your way in. According to Torah, you're not the owner. You can't conquer. Fine. However, he says, there are certain conquests that were sanctioned by God. For instance, the Jewish people going into the land of Eretz Yisrael, that's after the Torah is given. When the Jewish people are going into the land of Eretz Yisrael after the Torah was given, since that's a conquest with God's permission, and led by the messenger of Hashem, led by Yeshua, and so on and so forth, by a prophet who's giving you. So that validates the conquest, and therefore this conquest is sanctioned by God, and, and therefore it does make you the legal owner. Fine. The question is when the Babylonians came, and they destroyed the base of English, was their conquest a conquest based with God's permission or not? And the answer is yeah. Because there was clear prophecies. The prophecies, the prophets were coming and warning us. We're reading it in Yermio last week when we were reading the, 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 the Haftorah two, last week and this week, two weeks in a row, which talking about the pending destruction of Jerusalem and how the nations are going to come and decimate the country and so on and so forth. And Hashem says, I'm going to call to the nations from the north. And that's Nebuchadnezzar. So his coming to conquer Eretz Yisrael was with the with divine with divine um, 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 approval, and that's why his kibush, his conquest of Eretz Yisrael, is legally recognized by God, and it was able to undo the Jewish ownership over the over the land of Israel. And that's why Maimonides says the holiness of Israel uh, expired, kind of came to an end. Ezra comes and retook possession of the land. Fine, now it became ours again. Okay, we got permission, we took it, fine, it's ours. It's holy again. Now suddenly the Romans come around. The Romans, we don't have any prophecy, he says, that the Romans will come where the God is kind of telling, calling to Rome to destroy the temple. Now obviously the Romans couldn't do it had God not given his consent. There's no question on that. And there is hints to it where it speaks about Daniel sees the five beasts, the four beasts, and one of them is the Romans. Fine. But it still does not have a particular prophecy that talks particularly that God is handing over Israel in the hands of the Romans, that conquest. As a result of that, it's a total illegal conquest from a halachic perspective. If it's an illegal conquest from a halachic perspective, it has no validity. So even though technically they destroyed the temple, took all the Jewish people away, it's still our land and nothing can undo that. Because their whole conquest was not a, was not a, it did not have, God did not sign off on it. And when I mean he didn't sign off on it, of course he made it happen and willed it to happen and so forth. But he, we don't have a clear, direct, divine communication and where God signs that document, their they're, uh, what's it called again? Uh, what do you call it? A They sign a declaration of war that God gives. You know, Congress has to give its approval. God did not officially, at least in a way that we can see with our eyes through a prophet, give that approval. So therefore, their conquest is illegal. And therefore, it can't undo the holiness. That's the Chassam Sofa's brilliant explanation. The rabbi, however, says, I don't get it. It's a great explanation, but it does. it's not Rambam. Rambam doesn't say that. 
Because according to that, it has nothing to do how the Jewish people took possession over it. It has all to do, it, the whole question over here is the conquering army. Do they have an approval or they don't have an approval? they have God's stamp or they don't have God's stamp? It doesn't make a difference how the Jewish people took possession of the land in the first place. Rambam is distinguishing between what? Yeshua, the Jewish people took possession through conquest. And therefore, the second conquest can undo the conquest. Ezra came in and he took it and he, and he settled the land. And therefore, and if, let's say, Ezra would have not come with the permission of Cyrus, of Koresh, to take. But Ezra would have come up with an army and he would have conquered. Would 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 um and it would be with the, with God's approval. Would the Romans be able to undo it? Also not. So there's nothing to do with the fact that he settled it. It has to do just with the fact that what that their their conquering is not a conquest. And and, and more than that, if Nebuchadnezzar would have not been given God's approval. And Nebuchadnezzar would have come in in the day to, to undo Yahushua's conquest. Would have had worked? Absolutely not. Because again, a conquest of a nation doesn't have any validity unless it has God's approval. So the whole issue over here is regarding only the conquering army. has nothing to do with how we took the possession of the land. Maimonides emphasizes the point of how we took possession of the land. So we have a few explanations over here that none of them really work fully. To explain the Rambam. And also I'm going to present to you finally what the Rebbe does say, which is a very, very brilliant explanation. And this was not stated yesterday, and I gave the whole class just for this last point. And the Rebbe says like this. We have to differentiate between, this is a talk, and if you want to learn the Sikha, it's in Parshas Lech Lecha. It's not in, at all in this Parsha. It's, a, it's in, in Parshas Lech Lecha where God promises Abraham the land for the first time in Bereshis. Mechelik Tezvav, it's the fifth Sikha on page one, 104. It's in Yiddish. So you have to be able to read that on page 100. And that's where he discusses this. Anyways, the idea is as follows. He says the ownership, we have to distinguish between two things. Ownership and holiness, and they're not necessarily connected. The whole question in, in Rambam has nothing to do with ownership. This is so brilliant. The Rebbe says nothing to do with ownership. The Rambam's entire question is only regarding the holiness of the land of Israel, not the ownership. The ownership that we own the land of Israel, the Jewish people are the owners, the legal owners of the land has nothing to do with conquest, nothing to do with settlement, nothing to do with anything. And it has to do with the fact that God gifted Abraham with the land of Israel for the Jewish people. And you know what it's ours from? It's ours already from then. The Jerusalem Talmud says, when Hashem said to Abraham, to Abraham, to you I have given the land, he doesn't say I will give the land. So the Jerusalem Talmud learns out that God said, I gave it to you already. You're the owner already. You are for eternal, for an eternal inheritance. It's yours. From that day on, every inch of the land of Israel is ours. It doesn't belong to anybody. No one. Not the British 
uh, when, when the, the, whatever, and it's not ours because of the British mandate, and it has nothing to do with 19, whenever, whenever they were 1948, it's not do with the Israeli, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the Israeli military, it's nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with even Yeshua coming in, the ownership, it has nothing to do with Ezra. It's one thing God gave it to Abraham, and that will never and can never be undone. That's the ownership of the land of Israel. The Jews are the sole owner of the land, the entire land of Israel. It belongs to the Jewish people from way back then. But then there's another question. The holiness of the land of Israel. That did not start when God gifted, when Hashem gifted Avram with the land, the land did not become holy yet. Obviously, it was very special. Obviously, it was unique. But it didn't have the element of Kedusha Sa'aris, of holiness, of the land. Obviously, there's a lot of questions you can ask on that. I'll give you a simple example. Why were the Ovis, why did Yaakov Avinu so badly want to be buried in, in Eretz Yisrael if it wasn't even holy then? I mean, the explanation you could give is that he wanted to be there as soon as it would be made holy, he would be there instantly. You can answer that. that. Not because of the holiness right then. He just wanted to make sure that as soon as it, as, but you can ask him that question. So then it's okay if the Jewish people, when they're coming into the land, they will bring him then. Okay, there's a lot to talk, which we can discuss this very idea if the land of Israel was holy or not holy. But that's for sure regarding the, the, and even if we say the land of Israel was holy already for when God gave it to Avram Avinu, so there's already a certain Kedusha in the land of Israel, but not the holiness enough that we should have all the commandments, the mitzvahs should apply. In order for the commandments, like we spoke earlier, Shemitah and so on and so forth, that holiness would only come upon the land when the Jewish people entered the land. When the nation, when the Jewish people entered the land, that's what brought the Kedusha into Eretz Yisrael, the holiness into the land of Israel. So we have it from way back then. It's our, it's Jewishly, Jewish owned, and that's forever. And because it's because we don't take it as a result of our conquest, or it doesn't, and it and it's not ours because of the because of Cyrus's approval or the British mandate or or the UN's declarations or anti-declarations, it's all of that is irrelevant. Because no one can take Israel away from the Jewish people because God Almighty gave it to them. Fire thing. That's our ownership. Now, holiness in the land has to do with the Jewish people coming into the land. Now, let's see, however, the difference between the first time we came into the land and the second time we came into the land. Part and the le- how the holiness, how the holiness then took hold of Eretz Yisrael. There's a difference between the first time and the second time. Because there's a difference in how Hashem wanted us to enter the land of Israel. How he, what was the method that Hashem wanted the Jewish people should enter into the land and settle the land? What was the method? The first time when we came into the land of Israel with Yahushua. Over there, God keeps on referring to it in the Torah. Hashem says, go in and conquer the land. Go conquer the land. Hashem wanted the Jewish people to enter the land with a kibush. 
with the conquest. We're soon going to get a little bit of a deeper understanding of why that needed to be that way. But that's the way it was. Hashem wanted the Jewish people to come into the land and, and, and their coming into the land and settling into the land should involve a conquest. A conquest meaning an overpowering of whoever was there. That's the method that Hashem wanted them to come into the land. Along with that, so let's see that. Since their coming into the land was happening through a conquest, and that conquest again was by divine command, that that's the way, the will and the command of God of how the Jewish people want should enter the land through conquering the land. So the holiness that's coming into the land of Israel is now simultaneously also coming about through conquest. Okay. Since the holiness of the land of Israel is coming about through a conquest, oh wait, 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 wait. So let's 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 take stop a minute over here. They're conquering the land, and Eretz Yisrael is becoming kaddish, becoming holy because they conquered it. It right away answers the question we asked. Remember we asked earlier. Um, well, at the same time, they also conquered. They also settled. They also did chazaka, which means they settled the land. Which means it made it, it became theirs. Again, in, in acquisition, there's two ways you can acquire something. You can acquire something through conquering. When you when I say you can, it doesn't mean you can go to your neighbor's place and conquer their 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 you know conquer half of their backyard. It, it doesn't mean that. But but a a a a a country, a nation, does have a validity to to, to take possession of land through a conquest. You can also be an owner over something through settling it. You know, if you have empty land that doesn't belong to anybody, no man's land. And you go and you settle that place, you know, you, you you settle it and that makes it yours. You're claiming ownership through your settling in it. You're living in it. You're setting up your uh, your, your stuff over there. Your, your, your chazaka, you take it. But here's the thing. Even though the Jewish people at the same time that they do a conquest also did a chazaka. And we asked that question, one of the Kassav Mishnah's question. They also did a chazaka. They also did a, 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 a settling. But that doesn't make a difference because since the, the the holiness that God is commanding onto the land that has to do with the Jewish people coming into the land was directly connected with God's will of how Hashem wanted them to take the land. And that was through a conquest. So even if they are doing other things that's making it theirs, that's not bringing the holiness because the holiness has to be dafka. Exactly together with the way Hashem told them to take the land is to have to conquer it. But let me just for a moment, because it sounds it might not might not be clicking in, in our heads or in and in, in like like what, what why what, what, what's what's the idea? So let me I was trying to avoid it till now because I'm trying to discuss it from discuss this from a pure halachic element without adding the mysticism or the Hasidic element, the deeper understanding of it. But I have to add that over here just that it should make even a tiny bit of sense. The point over here is as follows. 
The first time Hashem wanted us to come into the land of Israel, Hashem wanted us to take an unholy land and make it holy. In other words, transferring darkness to light. Kalipa to Kedusha. Unholy to holy. There's forces of darkness, there's forces that are unholy, and God wants the non-holy to become holy. To be overpowered by holiness. So God purposely wanted Israel first to belong to the nations, and the Jewish people should take the land that belonged to the nations and make it the land of Israel. That's the idea of a conquest. The whole concept of a, of a conquest means I am taking it away from somebody. It's aggression. That's what conquest is. It's bullying. It's a bullying and an aggression, but God wanted holiness to be aggressive. After all, it's his world, so he can want, <laughs> he can support the bully over here. So this was a, a godly sanctioned aggression and a godly sanctioned bullying, and it needed to be that way because holiness needed to muscle up a little bit and fight the unholy and, and overpower. So we and, the, and so therefore the holiness would only settle in the land in that manner because that's the way God wanted it to take the land. If simultaneously they don't have to bully anybody, if simultaneously once the bully the, the others run away or give up, you're saying, "Well, I didn't only I'm not only bullying someone to take it. I'm not only, I'm also settling. Who cares? The holiness is not." Hashem's desire now in the way he wants to settle his holiness into this land is be, is in the bully. God is in bully mode, you can say right now. He doesn't want you to be nice, set up a peace corps and 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 and, and settle the land in a very pleasant way. That's not what he's looking for right now. He wants holy aggression. Holy, he wants militancy right now in, in the conquest of the land of Israel. So if we're doing it in a nice way. That's not that. That's not that's nothing wrong with that. But that's not going to make the place holy. The holiness is not coming from that. It's coming from the conquering. That's the idea. And that will explain why even the land of the Gibbonites, which because you can say the land of the Gibbonites, the the, the Givonim, who gave their land away to the Jewish people willfully. So you can ask, wait, hold it. If they gave it and there was no conquest there, there was no bullying over there. So the Rebbe explains, no, their land also has an element of taking possession of conquest because the Jewish people took conquest of the people themselves. They sold themselves as servants to the Jewish people. They submitted themselves literally to be servants. Once they themselves became servants, the, there was a Jewish um, 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 conquest of them not the land. There was a conquest of them. Automatically, their lands that they belong to become the Jewish land. So that also is a form of aggression. They aggressively took possession. Oh, good. They sold themselves willfully. They gave themselves over willfully. But after all, it was it was it was it was a a a a, a taking away. I am taking away from you. I'm taking you as mine. And as I'm taking you as mine, I'm taking your land as mine as well. Or so that, that, or the Rebbe adds another very interesting idea that that that, that is just a gvaldig spin over here. Since the taking of the land had to be through a conquest, the first time we came into the land of Israel, we had to take it through a conquest. It doesn't necessarily require that we conquer every piece of land in order for Eretz Yisrael to become holy. As soon as we made one major conquest in the land, the entire land became holy. 
Because the holiness was, it wasn't like each piece of land when you conquered it, that's when the holiness came. Hashem is saying like this, I gave Abraham the land of Israel to the Jewish people. From then it becomes yours, but it's not holy yet. Holiness is going to come when you conquer, when the Jewish people enter the land. And how should the Jewish people enter the land? Through a conquest. Does that mean that every inch of Israel has to be conquested and only conquered and only then that, that each place when it's conquered, it becomes holy? No. He says it's quite possible that when the Jewish people conquered Jericho, Yericho, which was the first, was, which was that first conquest in the land of Israel. And we know that, Israel, that Jericho uh, was considered the lock of Israel. Once you break the lock, what's the hardest thing to get into a house? Got to break the lock. Once you break into the lock, you're broken in. So it says that Yericho was the, the minnow. Once the Jewish people, that's why you saw God intervened so much by Jericho. The rest of the wars, the Jewish people had to fight kind of more in a natural way. But by Yericho, it was completely miraculous. You know, they went around seven times. They blew the chauffeur. The walls came down. They took the land. The whole thing was, why? Because Yericho was the main punch. Once they took Yericho, they got everything. So that would include also the Gibbonite lands. And the entire land of Israel became there through their conquest. But it had to be a conquest. And the holiness came as, came, came as a result of them overpowering. That's the definition of a conquest. So now watch this. If the holiness of the land is associated and it comes by through holiness overpowering the unholy, the Jewish people overpowering the nations that were living there. And that's what's driving the holiness into the land. The moment the tables are turned and what happens? The unholy side wiggles its way out and quite in the country turns around and dominates over the Jewish people. And now the Jewish people are defeated by the, by the forces of the unholy. When the Jewish people got defeated by the Babylonians, whoever it was. So what happened? That holiness, which came about as, as an aggression, as a holy aggression, when there is an unholy aggression, and that, so to, when it bullied holiness and, 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 and overpowered holiness, then the holiness of Eretz Yisrael, since it came about through the Jewish people take becoming entering the land through that aggressive measure, that is not a force anymore. So the holiness goes away. Not the ownership. The Jewish people owned the land of Israel even when, when they were living in Babylonia. Not the ownership of the land, but the holiness of the land, which was directly associated with the Jewish people physically entering the land. And since the physical enter into the land that allowed for the Jewish people there was by divine command needed to be an, an aggression. It needed to be a war. It needed to be a conquest. So the moment you'd have an, the opposite force doing the opposite, it undid it. That's how the Rebbe says. But now let's hear the depth and the beauty. When God calls the Jewish people back to the land of Israel, now Hashem says, okay, you're going to come back to the land of Israel. When Hashem sends them back to the land of Israel the second time, Hashem never called for a conquest. Hashem never said, put on your bully hat. Come back to the land of Israel as militants. Aggression. Let's go fight. God did not say that. God says, now I want to bring you back to your land. Come back. Come back. Come back and settle your land. 
the Jewish people come back and settle their land? How are they coming into their land? Are they coming into the land by through a through a macho aggression? I'm a, I'm a muscle guy. I'm going to beat you. No. The Jewish people came back to the land by saying it's our land. We belong there. It's our land. Ours. Why are we coming? Not because we're taking it. We're coming there because it's ours. We're returning. I'll explain that a little better in a few minutes. We're going back to our land. Not aggression. It is ours, so we should be there. The proof that it's ours. The proof that it's ours. We weren't there for 70 years and we're still all coming back. We weren't there. We already, but why are you coming back? It's not that you don't have it anymore. Why are you going back? You're going back because it's ours. Because it's essentially ours. So when we came back the second time, it wasn't through a, a an act of an aggressive taking of the land. And let, 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 it was through a declaration that it's ours. That's the main difference. Conquest means, the very definition of conquest means taking away from somebody. That's the idea of conquest. Why am I going to be here? Because I took it away from you. I'm going to be here because I took it away from you. So then, if the whole point is I'm here because I'm aggressive and I took it away, you, and now you took it back, you took it away from me, I'm not here anymore. But if it's not because I'm taking it away, Chazaka means it's mine. Why am I setting up my, why am I building a, why am I building over here an extension? Because it's my house. When a person does an extension to their home, they're taking away? No, they're taking away from anybody. It's my, it's my property, so I'm building in my property. It's not, it's nothing about, it's just a, it's almost like a revelation of a certain truth that's there. The second time, in a sense, the second time they're coming back, they are they are coming from a much deeper place. They're coming from a much deeper place. They're weak now. They don't have strong. They don't have the power. The Jewish people were dead. We're not in a strong state then. Physically and spiritually. Physically, they were not strong. They were after an exile. They haven't yet built up at all. Spiritually, they were very not strong. They didn't have all the miracles that were with them. They, didn't, they weren't the super powerful nation riding on the wings of eagles. But they were like pretty weak Jews on all levels. So what? What? What's the power of this? Of this? Of this? Of this whole return to the land? It's much deeper. It's not that because we're strong and we have God on our side and we can do whatever we want. The Jewish people are just stating the fact. The land of Israel belongs to us and we belong there. And we're going there. We haven't been there for such a long time, but we're coming back. Because it's ours. In other words, they are touching upon the essential, the ownership of before. Now, we said before, the fact that, that, that their owner doesn't make it holy. What makes it holy is that the Jewish people are there. But what influence that the Jewish people are there? Why are they there? They are there because it's their land. So in a sense, the essential ownership of the land that was given to Avram Avinu is affecting the holiness of the land so much more in the second 
time they came in the first time. Because the first time they're coming into the land of Israel, it was by divine will that it should be a battle between holy and unholy, and holy should beat the holy. So you're not really, you're not really demonstrating that this land belongs to you essentially. You are, in a sense, because you say, why am I fighting for this land? Because it's my land, so I'm taking it. But it, in a sense, it's okay if you're strong and you're such a bully, you can bully, you can bully the Koreans too and take their land. Okay, but we chose this place. Fine. It's not showing so much of an intrinsic bond. But now that we're coming back to our land and we're settling the land after we've been exiled, what is that showing? We're going there because that's our home. So since when we took it the second time, it's not. it has nothing to do, the holiness that God decreed upon the land which has to do with the Jewish people coming into the land. But God, by divine decree, God did not tell them to come in by a conquest. God told them just to settle it. So the holiness is not because Kedusha is overpowering the Klippa. Then you say the moment the Klippa overpowers, it undoes it. It's because Kedusha is saying this is our place. This is the place of holiness. So the fact that some force later will rip us away from the land will not change that in any way. Okay, so you're strong and you can throw me off. Who cares? The holiness is not because I conquered it. The holiness is because it's mine. And the proof that it's mine is that I came back. Now, I want to explain that a little deeper. A little deeper, so you really get you really get this is such a beautiful idea. Because we're going to in a few minutes, we're going to apply this. In a few minutes, we're going to apply this to our lives in a, in, a, in a very very powerful way. The point over here is like this: there has never been a people that have been exiled from a land. In our case, for thousands of years, and yet still are connected to that to that place in the deepest way. It just did not exist in world history. Didn't exist. What draws Jews back to the land of Israel after thousands of years of isolation, after of, of separation, after thousands of years of people in every culture, and in many places, the Jewish people settled and did pretty well and built communities, and yet in their prayers and their hearts and their songs, every time, every wedding, and every time you eat a piece of bread by benching, you declare of Yerushalayim and build Jerusalem and build Jerusalem. It's constantly all day long. There's not a, there's, there isn't a Jewish celebration where we don't talk about Jerusalem. And even the small things, it's always Jerusalem and Jerusalem. is because we and Jerusalem are one. We and the Holy Land and the land of Israel, it's our land. So your relationship with the land is actually proven by the fact. Let me put it this way. The exile that pushed the Jewish people away is actually part of, it's part of the, it's part of the, of the ownership, almost to say. In other words, in order to, to, to show the deep connection of the Jewish people to the land, it came precisely because we were exiled from the land and we were not there, and yet we're coming back. If you have no relationship with it, now what happens? If you don't have any intrinsic relationship with something, so and then it gets forever taken away from you, you move on the way it is 
you know, you lived somewhere, you had a house, whatever reason, things got bad, the bank came and took the house away, right? You moved somewhere else to a different town, to a different place. And then, yeah, and now in the beginning, you still miss the community, you miss your people, you miss your childhood friends. But what happens after many, many years when you live in a different place, you make new friends, you get a new community, you meet new people, you settle into a new town, and this is your place. I'm not saying you don't have fond memories of the past, and maybe you'll sometimes like to go back after 30 years and 40 years and go back to where you lived many, many years ago, and it's nice to go back and look at the house and tell your children, you know, daddy and mom, we lived at this house once, and so on and so forth. But is the way that you like, you must come back to that place? No. Why is it after thousands of years, generations and generations, and yet we still want to go back to the land after we've been uprooted, after we've been separated, after the land has been desolate for so many years? It's because it's ours. We're so deeply connected to it, and that's why we come back to it. So the second time the Jewish people come into the land of Israel, their their connection to the land is not because... You know, the definition, the first time, as we said earlier, it's about, there is the, the, it's the, 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 the connection, the, the idea was that a holy people should overpower the unholy and, and take a piece of earth and make it holy. That was its, 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 its definition to make, to make unholy holy. As we said earlier, that could be undone. Because when unholy overcomes the holy, okay, fine. But if when we came back the second time, it wasn't because of holiness being stronger than unholy, it's because of an essential connection. Because this is who you are. This is your essential bond. So here's the thing. Even if you kick me out another time, and you kick me out another time, and you kick me out another time, doesn't make a difference. You, I proved already once that even if when you sent me away and you isolate, I'm coming back. So I've already revealed that my relationship with this place is intrinsic. The fact that, I, that I'm now kicked out again and again, I don't have to, I have to prove that another time, but what's there? Nothing more. It had, once it has already been established that the Jewish people come back to their land after their, it's because it's their land that can never be undone anymore. And that on halachic, it's it's the same thing. The kedusha came back not because of a, a a overpowering, but of a demonstration that this that 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 this is ours. That will never change. This explains something very, very, very powerful in terms of our general life, which I think is so, so, so vital, so important. You know, on the Hasidic level, on a deeper level, the first time the Jewish people came into the land of Israel, they were tzaddikim. Tzaddikim means righteous individuals. A person who's a tzaddik, meaning a person who never, ever goes astray, you know, a person who maintains clarity from the day they're born, and immediately they, they, their holy soul dominates over their body, and they live a, in a holy, godly state of existence what are they doing what are they doing in a mundane world what are they doing in such an unholy world 
They are overpowering the klipa, the unholy, and mastering holiness over the unholy. The world around them is unholy, but they're holy beings. So by the fact that they are holy and they're traversing the world, and in this world they're doing godly things, they're giving kedusha holiness, a they're channeling holiness into an unholy world. They're dominating the world with holiness. That's great. But it's a, what is it inherently? It's not a, it's an overpowering. Kedusha is overpowering the unholy. There's a different type of service. And that's called the balchuva. The balchuva is someone who sinned, someone who fell into darkness, and so on and so forth. What's the what's the the chiddush? What's the novelty of their lives? What's the novelty? What 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 do they bring to the table? What does the balchuva bring to the table that the tzaddik can bring? The sages say the balchuva is higher than the tzaddik. The penitent is higher than the tzaddik when they repent. They're declaring something that tzaddik can never declare. They're declaring their innate connection to holiness. And what does that mean? That means even if I get divorced and banished and separated and my consciousness drifts away into very dark things and dark places and I become completely cut off from holiness, at the core of my being and at the core of my identity, I belong to the holy. And there might be all kinds of forces in this world, circumstances, people, evil inclination, that might pull me away so far and might dominate over me for a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, 10 decades, a lifetime. But intrinsically, I I belong to holiness. How do you see? Because I come back. I come back to where I belong. This is who I am. This is my identity. When the Jews came back the second time in the days of Ezra, they were Bali Tshuva. They already separated. They already separated. They severed their connection with God. They didn't listen to the prophets. They became they became alienated. They got involved with everything. They married out of, many of them married out of the Jewish faith. They tried to mingle into the nations. They tried other things. And yet, they come back. They're coming back. That's a far more intrinsic connection. That's what the Balchuva. I'm essentially connected. So what, what did I get? Now this is, we spoke about this many times, but what did I get today that I never got before? I thought it was like really, really something so amazing. Now, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said something very powerful many years ago, 30 years ago. He said, you know, the sages say Mashiach will not come until the Jewish people do tshuva. And the Rebbe said the Jewish people did tshuva already. Made a power, made, the Jewish people are already after their tshuva. They did tshuva. That the, in other words, the idea that there needs to be a repentance from the Jewish people in order for Mashiach to come is no more a condition that is necessary to be met. It has been met already. 
That's not what's holding back the redemption that we didn't do tshuva. Because tshuva was done already. And the Rebbe said these words, there isn't a Jew in the world who did not have a thought of tshuva. Every Jew had. By now, by the time, that, by now, every Jew had a thought of tshuva. So then you wonder, you say, okay, they had a thought of tshuva a long time ago, at some point in their life, but where are they now? How many Jews are not practicing Jewish Judaism? How many Jews are not keeping Shabbos? How many Jews are not even keeping Yom Kippur? How many Jews see themselves as totally secular? How many Jews don't even identify with the fact that they're Jewish? And that's Jews. And on the bigger picture, how about ourselves? We know that we've had, we've all had moments that we've done tshuva. Everybody listening to this class has had moments that we did tshuva. But we all know that those chuvas don't always last. Those chuvas last for a little while and then we get we get carried away again in the klipa. We fall down and get involved whatever again. Even as observant people, we can go into very dark places and fall and fall and fall. And therefore you sometimes wonder like, what's the value of the chuva? Let's understand something. What did we say before? The holiness of the land of Israel is forever. Once the Jewish people came back with, with, with Ezra there and they, they did tshuva then and they, they came back not as a, as we saw before, as an aggression, but because they intrinsically connected to their Judaism or to the land of Israel because they said this is ours. And once they made that declaration, it lasts forever. It can never be undone. Understand why? 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 Once you've already revealed that you could be cut off with every type of external influence from God and intrinsically from where, from within yourself you come back, then you've already declared on a very deep level that you belong to holiness. Now what happens if tomorrow, again you fall and you get, doesn't make a difference in the sense that once tshuva was done, the tshuva, that was the essential idea of what you had to say as a Jew. That your Judaism is not circumstantial. And let me explain this, I think, just with a few words. In our lives, we meet many people and we meet many ideas and many things. Take a look across across a person's life, which we become very deeply connected to. Some deeper, some less deeper. We meet people. We forge bonds with people. Anybody listening to this class will really kind of look through their life and think about I don't know, whatever age you are, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. I don't know, whatever your age is, maybe younger or whatever. It doesn't make a difference. You can find in your life certain things that you got very passionate about, people you got like you fell in love with, people you were so fanatic about them, whether it was a, 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 in a relationship, um, someone you loved very much, someone you got, uh, or, or an entity or an idea or a teacher or a, or a, or a, or a, or a whatever, a fa- whatever, things people get, you get involved with. And then, you know, it wears off. It wears off and you get involved with other stuff. And then you, and then, and then you wonder like, you know, oh yeah. And then someone comes to you and they try to like re-inspark that. I'm like, okay. Remember, but you were so crazy about that. Yeah, remember you used to tell me always about this book that you read and you were so crazy. I'm on to something else. And that's all a demonstration that that's not your, it's not your identity. 
these are things that you attached yourself to. They were meaningful. They were exciting. They were, they were attractive. They were beautiful. They, they caught your, 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 your attention. And, may, and again, to, to, to whatever level they caught your attention. And that's the way it is. You, once you, 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 you become, you know, slowly you get cold to something and you reach a point where you're totally uninfluenced when it's gone. But the Jewish people, that's what tshuva is. Tshuva is a weird thing. Because it's like you're, you're once fanatic about in a relationship. You once loved someone very, very passionately. You completely cut off with that person. So much that you got into a huge fight with them. You ran away. You don't want them to do it then. You got into this massive fight. You get, That's over. The relationship is over. And then 20, 30 years later, you just can't. You're coming right back. Doesn't it, Psychologically, it doesn't make any sense. It's because of the essential oneness that you have. See, and once you reveal that once, even if it gets covered up again, it has already been declared. That's the idea. Once the Jewish people made the declaration of tshuva in the days of Ezra, as a nation, as a national declaration we made, that we can be severed from the land of Israel, severed from God, go through an exile, and have reached in our cycle, in our minds, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the national psyche of Israel, God dumped us and we dumped him. Finished. We chose the idols over God. That was at that time. We chose the other things over Hashem. Finito, over. And yet an entire nation comes back to its land and comes back to its base on Megdash and comes back to its connection to Hashem. That means that you can't get over it. You can't get over it because it's not something you're choosing externally. It's something that you are essentially connected to. And this is, I think, a huge, huge, huge chizuk and inspiration for us people that struggle people that go up and down and up and down and up and down realize that every time you're 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 returning you're getting back in it is it it is your truth and how do you know it's your truth and and more than that it's like once it was done then it it, it is And, and i think that's what the rebbe said that after the holocaust at a certain point the fact that Jews, after a Holocaust, after we could say that, you know, we, we, there was enough reason for Jews to abandon everything Jewish and completely separate from him. Yet Jews stuck it out and are Jewish. And when, whether it was the miracles that happened in Israel and so on and so forth during the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, what that did, and it woke up amongst the Jewish people across the entire world, a certain Jewish pride, a certain identity, a certain connection. Even if these people were not religious or observant and so on and so forth, but they felt in a deep way connected to, to Hashem and to holiness. And the Rebbe is saying that there isn't a Jew in the across the world exactly at which point I, I can't point that did not feel that and did not at least uh, on some level a little 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 revelation of that what into their consciousness once it was declared once they have the holiness of the balchuva and the holiness of the balchuva can never be undone because it's one that's revealing essence and once you reveal essence it is there's nothing you can do about it. Then, then no matter, even if for 50,000 years, it will be covered up, it's still who you are. If it never revealed itself, that means if the people never had that revelation of tshuva, so even if it is, but in the realm of revelation, it never revealed itself. 
But if it's surfaced once, so in the first temple when we came in, it wasn't a, it wasn't a revelation of tshuva. It was our connection and possession because we're strong, because we're mighty, because holiness is the because holiness was in. At that time, it was the fad. Holiness after we went out of Egypt, holiness was the cool thing. And so every so you identified as being holy, belonging to the side of holiness. God was very in. So you join, but you don't know who you are in essence. After God started becoming a little boring to them, and they started seeing all kinds of other things that kind of attracted their attention, and they left Hashem. They left Hashem. So why are you coming back? Why are you coming back? Why are you coming back to the land of Israel? You know, uh, the, the Zionists, the early Zionists were thinking that, you know, they would they, they would make the land of Israel in Ethiopia. There was a time that uh, Herzl had that idea. It didn't come to fruition, obviously, because that's Ethiopia is not the Jewish land. Israel is the Jewish land. If that's eternal, that's everlasting, and that's absolute. And that's what we have what to, you know, express after 2,000 years of exile, that we're still running to the land of Israel. We feel so connected. It's an essential oneness. It's a bond that can't be undone, and that's what the Ramam is saying. So may we merit already, once we've proved this already so strongly, Hashem should also recognize, and he does, of course, his essential bond with us, but bring it to the revelation and to the revealed and open state so that we can all return to Eretz Yisrael with the coming of Mashiach. And may that be now, 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 and now.